Welcome to Unstructured Unlocked. A podcast where listeners discover how enterprise leaders are confidently automating document intake and accelerating their workflows to increase capacity and drive top-line revenue. I'm co-host Michelle Govea. And I'm co-host Chris Wells. Welcome to the podcast. Michelle, today's episode is all about uh, the topic of the day, chat GPT. And really what we mean by that is artificial intelligence and large language models and what's possible now that wasn't just three months ago. Um, so given uh, your insurance experience, I want to talk about all that. But first, I want to say, since this is the first episode we've done since you were introduced as officially as my co-host, thank you so much for being co-host on this podcast. Absolutely. I'm so excited. I really enjoyed the the conversation the first time and really looking forward to doing it again. So. Good. Yeah. And yeah. I'm excited because I don't have to work as hard and my chronic yeah. dry mouth is going to go away. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So, welcome. Back. Anything I can do to help. <laughs> Good. All right. Okay. Back on topic. Yeah. What do you think the impact of AI? And of course, like, you know, like we said, while we were prepping for this, everyone's going to identify AI with chat GPT nowadays, but what do you think the, yeah. the impact of AI has, has been on the insurance industry? I, I think it's, it's had a really strong, uh, valuable impact on the insurance industry. And, um, like we'll, we'll get into the, the phenomenon that is chat GPT, right. And why it's, why it seems to be making, all the headlines and why it's now AI is back in the headlines with everything. But to your point, AI has been um, part of insurance uh, solutions or capabilities for a while, right? And um, that counting back to our, our first conversation, specifically in the underwriting of the claims workflows. Um, when you think about AI, it's how does how does AI help sift through um, large quantities of data to identify yep. trends, patterns, um, exceptions potentially to some of those things, and then raise those um, so that a human being can can work with with those assessments to identify changes to a workflow that may need to happen or right. changes downstream for how a claim gets processed or how a product is priced, um, or even maybe how a product is distributed based on what whatever data that you that you're populating, right? Maybe you're you're applying AI over sales trends or churn trends or retention, et cetera. Um, so back because insurance has so much data, having that functionality to 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 have something sit on top of it and 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 isolate those those instances of of importance, right? And then um, help help make the business decisions that, that you need to as a result of having all that information at your fingertips, um, it's huge. Um, yeah. Especially given the fact that, like we talked about, a lot of, and granted, there's got to be some structure to that data usually, right? That That's the component that we can talk about. But there, there's so much data and information locked in and, and, and free text and commentary and, and notes. Um, and so any tool that can help someone sift through that is going to be extremely valuable. Um, anything that improves what is the existing manual process? I think it's important for people to remember that, um, and I may have said this the last time we spoke, I don't remember, but uh, actuaries, which are sort of the bread and butter technical people of the insurance industry, are the original data scientists. They were the original modelers. Um, mm -hmm. And so that that ability to take what actually happened in the real world and turn that into business decisions, that's been part of just doing insurance as long as there has been insurance. So... I think probably some people out there are saying, I didn't know insurance did AI, but you know, well, yes, and, and they do and they have been. 
there, there's other iterations of it too. So I went straight for the underwriting and claim side, but um, you know, we've seen we've seen it in in chatbots, right? Like when you're sitting on any website that says, "Hey, looks like you have a question. How can I help you?" Or within within the app of of an insurance carrier, for example. Um, then I close the window. Yeah. The computers are always watching, always watching. Um, you know, the, those instances or when, when you call into a call center, right, and there, there might be internal, um, the, those, those individuals may be using, you know, AI and chatbots internally to query their own yeah. workflows and processes internally. So um, it's hitting all the major elements, customer experience, you know, customer engagement, and then the internal workflows as well. So, um I, I think it's getting better over time, right? Like you, now you have much smarter responses. There's a little bit of intent um, acknowledgement in, in the questions and the AI is getting better at that as opposed to like, you know, versions one where it was just very simple. Like it can read a document and, and just regurgitate those answers. Um, but, but yeah, there's, there's, there's a ton of opportunity for AI. Um, but I think it, it, the chat GPT phenomenon has just yeah. has just brought it like to to front and center. And I, I feel like it's becoming now um maybe AI when it first was came about was a little bit of, of a buzzword and then people really understood how to use it and what its capabilities were. And now it's becoming like a, a key technology technological capability. And now I fear that that chat GPT is making it like buzzwordy again. Um I don't know. What do you what do you think about that? I think this always happens in business. Uh, I remember, so I was an under, I was actually an undergrad during the first sort of like ML AI hype cycle. And it was like, oh, these algorithms, they're so powerful. The computers aren't, right? So it was like, <laughs> yeah. everyone should study AI and learn AI. And it's like, oh, we can't actually do anything. And then I remember um, when I was in finance, uh, using gpus to do the computing faster was like the hype cycle and all of the i'm often mean to mbas on these podcasts but all the, you know all the mba types were like oh i just need more graphics units and everything will be faster and it's like no really specific computations they'll make faster um you know i i've seen so many technology bitcoin you know blockchain is another one of them where it's like mm -hmm. just blockchain the things and then the things will be better and i think um that it's always more nuanced than that. And I, I'm seeing a lot of that same hype right now. Like we've at Indico, we've been on a, our clients are smarter than most, but we've, you know, we've been on a roadshow lately just saying, Hey, large language models are powerful. They're going to be built into our platform. For those of you out there who knew the podcast, if you haven't listened to episode 13, where I talk with, uh, or sorry, episode 12, where I talk with Madison and Tom about what's going on, listen to that one. Um, we're going to get this stuff in the platform. We're going to make it safe to use. It's not, I think everyone should like, I I'm telling my kids every day, like, don't just don't Google it. Just ask chat GPT, like get familiar with how to use this tech. Um, but for enterprise applications, I think you have to be really, really careful with something this powerful. The same as you have to be really, really careful and eventually decide don't use it with something like blockchain, but, um, you just have to be really, really careful. Well, that's really interesting because one of the things that, that I see a ton of articles on now and uh, anytime ChatGPT comes up, it's, it's, it's very powerful, right? Like it's, it's data set is the internet, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it, it can 
for it's going to know as much as it can, it can know, right? All backward looking, obviously, but yeah. by by definition. But um, the real art is in the drafting of the prompt, right? Like you can ask yes. them a simple question, it can and can tell it to you. But again, a little bit of that intent is um, like, what are you really trying to ask it? And so I'm seeing job postings for for prompt engineers prompt and engineers. things like that, yeah. um, which is just really interesting um and then you know my mind goes to all the different the different iterations of of what that could be like what are those jobs in the future right um but yeah prompt engineer is is a role that you're starting to see pop up about that and you made a really good point too sorry jumping around but um the thing too is from from an insurance carrier perspective we talked about this last time about insurance highly regulated industry um very compliance driven um you have to have checks and balances in place. Um, yeah. If you're if you're leveraging these types of technologies to do any kind of of um, business business decision or business planning, and so uh, you know, for any AI solution that's out there, when you're, there's there's testing, there's more testing, yeah. there's continuous validation that the model is still working, that it lacks that there's no biases in those models, right? And so yeah. all. As being able to, to query on something, even if it is right, it's it's like trust but verifying. Or yes, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I wouldn't be comfortable saying, "Oh, what's the source of this?" Oh, I chat GPT it, right? Like, no, like yeah. like where where did this actually come from? What what's backing it up? How how can we be confident in uh, you know that this is the way forward? Yeah, and I you know I used to work in finance for you know almost a decade and. Um, one of the services uh, that I occasionally helped provide was just like model governance. Like, how did you decide to make this investment? And a big part of that is the data lineage. Like, where did the data come from? What did you do to it? What did it look like afterwards? If it goes into this black hole, which is chat GPT, or even, you know, the whole family of GPT models, um, anything generative, I guess I would say, any generative model, how do you like how do you how do you document that right like um and that was always a problem for ai right like ai explainability has been um i think some that's folks a whole do it subsector better. of insure tech subsector yeah yeah of insure tech movement too is um we're starting to see a lot of compliance focused uh, companies sorry to interrupt just no no that's fine and I, and you're seeing some you're seeing more research coming out in um, academia related to how you explain what language models are doing. Um, but it's a, it, I mean, honestly, if I had to explain what my own brain was doing when I made a decision, right? Like it, you have to explain what a giant Excel spreadsheet is doing when it's got 35 tabs and VBA macros buried in it, right? Like, so there, yeah. part of it is just, we have to get comfortable as human beings and as various industries with the level of explainability and, and what it what it is you actually need explained. For example, back to your point about prompt, prompt engineering, you can make GP, GPT show its work. Like I was... Um, I was I was actually trying to fit a mathematical <laughs> model to our podcast downloads, and I fed it the data points and said fit fit an exponential to this, and it was it was perfect. It was great. I checked it in Excel. Fine. I then, because I was curious, asked it to solve you know an ordinary differential equation, which is something a lot of you know college sophomores or freshmen can solve. Totally, totally whiffed on it. Gave me a very confident answer that seemed plausible if you didn't know what you were doing. 
But then I said, hey, I think you missed this condition. And it went back and it fixed that part. And then I said, okay, if that's true, then you know, what should you do for step two? And eventually we got to the right answer. Um, cause it can reason. It's not just a lookup to the internet. It can actually okay. reason, um, in simple ways, but someone, you know, it's like an undergrad, like it's at that level, right? Someone has to be watching it and asking the right questions to verify that it's doing the right things. So see, that's, that's really interesting. Cause I had, I had a conversation with a colleague of mine and uh, kind of along those same lines. And you know, the the point wasn't, and I guess what you're saying is it's not just look at the can reason. We were having a discussion of if you use it as a lookup, right? Two plus two is a very common equation everywhere on the internet, right? So it's going to know that it's four. But to, to your point, if you ask it a very, not even complex, just unique uh, mathematical yeah. problem that, that you wouldn't commonly find as like a, a search, uh, it probably wouldn't get it right. And I guess you, yeah. then then but because how to do math is is out there yeah. right that's that's where it's pulling its reasoning from i think is what you're yeah. saying yeah and it, um, you know and it it answers honestly y'all everyone out there should try this sometime like ask it a hard math problem and then read the answer and and try not to try not to think oh that's like this looks like the answer key in the back of the book when i was in college um because it does sort of read like the way you would see it written out there. It's just, it's wrong. It's telling you the wrong things. Yeah. Um, so you have to check. And, and that's the danger, right? Like you have to know that it's wrong in order you to, to question it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so if you're using it to try and get an answer, not confirm an answer, for example, um, you, yeah. you have to, you have to already uh, be aware of, of what the answer should be and, and how you got there uh, a little bit of explainability that we were talking exactly. about. Exactly. And, you know, you mentioned the point about it, you know, it's trained up through the, basically the whole internet circa end of 2021. It doesn't have your data in it, right? Like you company ABC out there. Um, now you, you could hook up your data to it. I like, don't do that. It's not a good <laughs> idea, but this is, this is not investment advice. I used to have to no. say <laughs> finance. Um, <laughs> Disclaim the the heck out of that one, but um, you know, so it it has limitations and it's not it doesn't understand what you do um, unless you do something that the rest of the internet understands and that probably doesn't describe an underwriter at generic insurance yeah. company. And and that, that's that's another interesting point because um, that that element of um, like an in the, like a company's proprietary data, you know, hopefully is not out there. It has not been leaked out onto the internet for ChatGPT to have learned about it. Um, and if oh, that's gosh. the case, right? Uh, like this is where my mental block is a little bit of um, all the, uh, you know, a lot of people are trying to say, well, I want to use ChatGPT in my company and, you know, to to improve my workflows or do et cetera. Yeah. And my, my mental block a little bit is um, just trying to understand the effectiveness of that if if you're doing it to try and query something in internally like to your point you could license it or yeah. potentially there are vendors that you work with that could license uh you know an iteration of that so that if your data your data that's locked in and protected by your contract with that third-party vendor maybe it becomes like an individual license that you can use yeah. with that interface but um, just being able to open up chat CPT and say, uh, I'm going to start using this in my day to day for me, just didn't, doesn't really compute. Um, yeah. 
but but you had mentioned that you can you can upload your data or you can use it within different um yeah like software is that right yeah i mean anything that has like a program programming interface defined you can you can basically give it access to um essentially like if you have uh user-defined functions in excel right like you can give it the equivalent of this function like run this function if you need to solve this kind of problem and one of those functions could be like here's our data apis you know go query those for these types of queries when i ask these types of questions um i kind of think of this model as uh it's a really pliable really confident intern knowledge worker and um it's it's too confident it's incentivized to give you an answer and if you've ever worked with an intern an intern like that you know what that's like right and you have to be um you have to be very you have to be very uh rigorous in how you do things um does make me wonder though as you know last time we talked a lot about claims we talked about underwriting we talked about some of the like you know closing the uh claims to underwriting loop to get better at doing the underwriting um say you had a really fast really confident intern that you could ask questions of um like how how would you put that kind of role in play in those you know in those situations in that part of those businesses yeah i mean so it gets to you have to have access to the data right so that's yep. step one um, but, but yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing that. So we'll start on the claim side, right? There's, um, there's a lot of, of information that you want to glean when a claim comes in, um, and, and assess yeah. those patterns over time. You want to identify, right. If, um, for lack of a bit, if, if a certain, uh, demographic of your insured book of business, um, is higher risk or has more claims right? Like you think about it from the GI, obviously, you know, if there's like a catastrophic uh, event that's going to happen, like those claims are going to come in, but what, what pattern can you identify in in your claims that can help with, um, reserves, uh, getting, adjudicating a claim faster, and then eventually taking those learnings and then sending that to the underwriting and saying upfront, if these characteristics come in in the submission, uh, it's riskier or it's less risky and we want to write it or we don't want to write it. So when you think about uh, time, time of year, can can you say, can you query uh, what time of year do most auto claims happen, right? And then and then you can learn that. Or what is the average, you know, what, what's the the age where most, most of personal auto claims happen, um, you yeah. know? And I guess that's how you get the rule of like, you know, you can't you can't rent a car unless you're under over 25 so maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe that's a data point that that you know someone should query and see if that's still still the case um but you know things like that or uh when when a claim has these types of characteristics it it always takes you know 20 days or more to close the claim right so you can yeah. have some of those metrics that you're capturing as well and that helps with um you know, SLAs and, and getting the right people assigned to, to claims and and and, and basically um, workflow management in addition to just identifying some some of those characteristics. And then again, like I said, on the underwriting side is uh, maybe we don't want to underwrite. Uh, you know, yeah, a, a, a certain geographies that that happens all the time, right? Or yeah. um, you know, name it, right? And it's, I'm using auto as an example, but you can you can use any any product line. Um, so 
I, I think it's extremely beneficial to have to have that kind of capability uh, within within the it's insurance like, space. I mean, what's Microsoft's new product called? Copilot, right? Like, yes, hook, yeah, I just hook, read an article about that. Yeah, yeah, we, hook we, GPT up to your PowerPoint or whatever and get better slides. We we were just joking about this the other day as a team. I I, I might be aging myself, but if anyone remembers Clippy. <laughs> Like oh yeah, saying, love, like, love yeah, is the new Clippy. Yeah, right? uh, total myth that that uh, Copilot doesn't have Clippy as as its mascot. <laughs> it's so nostalgic for people um, in our generation. But when I saw that, I, I chuckled because we had just been talking about that. Um, I think the, the really interesting thing, or where uh, I, because of, of Chat GPT and the fact that it's it's AI, I'll call it kind of for the masses, right? Like it's yeah. yeah. Um, insurance carriers have to start thinking about uh, unfortunately uh the the downside uh to have to people having this capability right what is it automating uh, that insurance carriers have to worry about um interesting phishing emails for example like like can you prompt chat gpt to write phishing emails and if like i think yes right and probably pretty good ones ones that don't have maybe those same pitfalls that others are, are dead giveaways for phishing emails and so Yes. How how, do, how does that impact like a cyber insurance policy, right? Like, and like how how do insurance insurers have to start thinking about the risk um, that that computer AI um, in commercial use can can bring to the industry? It's a great question. I actually, well, while you were asking the question, I I asked ChatGPT to write me a phishing email. <laughs> it won't. It refuses to do it. Oh, okay. Um, so there's some, some but so there's a question. Who set that ethical boundary in ChatGPT? Great question. Who are the gatekeepers there? Yeah. I, I can try another one, though. I bet this works. What are the characteristics of a good phishing email? I mean, the other thing you could do um, while that thing's cooking, the other thing you could do is take your phishing email and say, hey, make this read like it's good English. Like I... Uh, was I I was doing this the other day. I asked um I asked ChatGPT to explain quantum mechanics to me uh in the character of Bender from Futurama, if you remember the robot from Futurama. <laughs> and uh again, it gets things wrong. Like it said, good day, good news, everyone. Yeah. I was like, no, stop. That's not that's not Bender. And then it fixed itself, right? So um I, I gotta go more creative. Uh, I've used it to like yeah figure out vacation itineraries like not yes yeah no i have friends that are doing this too and they're like spot on i'm like i want to take that trip um yeah so interesting like what comes back is it says it won't write it won't write a phishing email for me but here in uh bullet points are the good marks of a phishing email it should inspire urgency and fear should be highly personalized show a sense of familiarity and then it goes on and on and on so like there are ethical guidelines clearly but they're probably even even though they exist they're probably a little too simple-minded um yeah and there are dangers like i would hate to have to write cybersecurity risk uh right now it's got to be hard yeah yeah i it, it just it opens up a, a whole a whole new set of doors for for what one for product innovation right which is which is a cool thing component of it but then it's just like it's a a never-ending kind of like rolling well what if what if it's this and what if it's this and how will the capabilities grow over time or how will people use it um and what happens if those um those guardrails get lifted or changed or yeah um it's just 
the black box of chat CPTIs as as you were saying before. Yeah, um, no, totally. And and people have, you know, so there are other large language models, right? It's not just GPT. Um, what's Facebook's called? Llama, right? Someone leaked Llama on 4chan. So that's out there. You can train it yourself. You can train it without putting ethical guardrails in place. You can leave those yeah. out completely. You can put bias into it. Um, don't do that if you're listening to this, but you can't. Well, um, well and, and well, that's a pro- like you have to remove all bias, right? The, the goal is the, in insurance, taking it back to, to insurance, like the, the role of the regulators is to remove bias, right? They're, they're there to protect the end consumer. Um, and so that that's why to your point of like compliance on models and things like that, like that's a big check is over time as new data has been introduced in, into to, to models, um, making sure that these biases don't exist. I think, wasn't it that a few years ago, there, there was an article about uh, credit cards that were being, there were biases in the credit card approval models. Yeah. Um, and, you know, ha- having to, to roll that back and, uh, you know, those are all things that, you, there, there are limitations, obviously, yeah. to, to AI, and you just have to be, to be cognizant of that. I think when you and I, uh, in prepping for this too, we're talking about the, the limitation of the data set itself, uh, what goes yes. into it, right? Like, like uh, again, I'm, I'm borrowing this from, we've had a ton of conversations about chat TVT, as, as you can imagine, most people have um, internally, but uh, I'll borrow from a colleague who just made the point of, you know, if if you ask ChatGPT, uh, write me a, a, a healthy diet, and yeah. the, the ChatGPT is trained for whatever reason to like cake is everywhere, right? And cake is good and associated with with yeah. with positivity. It could write you a, a diet that says eat a lot of cake. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's not a good, a good healthy diet, right? Now, to your point, maybe you reason you say, well, cake has a lot of saturated fats in it. Like, exactly. is that really still still uh healthy but uh to your point again if i if i didn't know any better i was like internet told me to eat cake yeah <laughs> um no, no i i think there i think there are just going to be so many everyday useful applications for this like my doctor just sent me this email through his you know whatever secure portal and i don't understand the advice from the doctor like could you summarize this for me or <laughs> check it against all of webmd for me right and you're going to see the same thing in the enterprise um, as we mature. I think the future of that, at least the sort of mid and near term future, is taking this really big black box oracle that's out there, getting a bunch of information from it, cleaning it, and then distilling it down into small models that we can run ourselves. They're trained mm-hmm. on our data. We feel good about them because we put the proper guardrails in place. Um, I you know, maybe there's a future where everything, there's just sort of one model to rule them all. But I think the near-term future is everybody taking this super powerful thing and then customizing it and putting like real tight bounds around it. Yeah, well, and, and you bring up an interesting point because there's there's the enterprise that can productize it in a way that the end consumer can still use it, right? Or, yeah. or use it internally themselves. And then there's the way the consumer is going to use it just by way of being able to access it at yeah. any time, right? So you you could... As a consumer, I could say, uh, I don't understand what's included or what's an exception in my insurance policy. Can you tell me? Yeah. Right. So because it's it's, yeah. it's out there, however you do. Or, you know, an insurance carrier could could have that capability built in to its, its app yeah. um, or in the, you know, on, on the 
on the front end of their website and and you could just query it there. And then there's a little bit more of like a, a guardrail of um, there's probably been some kind of review and and yeah. documentation that it's pulling from uh, with with the intent built in there. Um, but that, that's interesting is, is there's probably a little bit of how does the consumer want to use it that the enterprises can then say, we're going to improve right. it. So this is how, this is how let's meet the customers where they are. Right. Um, which is yeah. something that the insurance companies are, you know, have been, you know, obviously they're, they're end customers, the consumer, but for, for years and years, there's customer engagement and, and customer, um, you know, improvement work efforts and in, internally in, in, in almost every carrier that I've talked to of, um, like how, how do we improve the, ex- the user experience for the customer, right? What, what yeah, do they want? Absolutely. How do we become like an Amazon for them where we can be responsive to what they need? Um, and so maybe, maybe this is a really great tool to help, to help get there a little bit faster. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if the, if companies want to take on the risk of, you know, it reads the policy wrong. Like yeah. if you, like if maybe there's a third party, that's okay taking that risk. And it's like, well, show me your policy and I'll tell you whether it's a good policy for you or not interesting to see if insurance companies actually want to in-house that or not. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I, I think my, my point was they have a little bit of control if, if they can, if they're mm-hmm. the ones saying it and, and validating that it is reading the policy. Right. But to your point, like, okay. yes, but as opposed to the consumer doing it and saying, yeah. calling up their insurance agent and saying, Chat GPT told me that my policy covers it. <laughs> my claim got denied. <laughs> you know, that's, that's probably not the risk that you want to run. <laughs> No. Yeah. Good luck getting ChatGPT to be your expert witness in court for you. It's yeah. Down half the time. No offense to anybody at OpenAI. All right. Let's, uh, this is fascinating stuff. Let's bring this back and put it on the rails. Um, one thing that we didn't talk a lot about last time was fraud detection. And mm. um, I'm interested in what sort of like the state of the art in insurance is with using AI for fraud detection and then like crystal ball, uh, you know, magic top head on. What do you think this sort of new capability allows? Yeah, so I've I've seen a few companies um, in recent years try, try to, to improve fraud detection um, okay. and, and, and using AI and uh from the examples that I've seen, it, it's not just uh, because it's, there's some pretty, I guess, I don't want to simplify it, right? But there's some pro- probably some product lines and probably some some types of claims that are just more fraught with with fraud, right? That are easier okay. to, to do insurance fraud on or, um, but then there are the more complex ones or the patterns that you don't see, right? So I, I uh, so individual one, uh, sends in a, an auto personal auto claim and you, there's maybe characteristics there or when you go through the evidence or you look at the pictures things like that there's ways to identify okay. fraud right and there's companies that are saying can, can identify if an image is fraudulent um if things don't line up oh. because the the metadata behind the image the timing doesn't line up for when the claim okay. was you know things like that but then there's yep. also um you know an example to say uh These, all of these claims, all of these workers' comp claims have come in with the same doctor on file. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so are those patterns that are harder to see across across policies or across books of business, I think AI is really powerful there because you can just you can identify what what traits you want to query to see if there's a pattern. 
pattern, right? Yeah. Like it's not just identifying a pattern. You can you can query to see if there is a pattern to even start off there. Maybe that's just more of a check checks and balances than it is yeah. um, to say like I know that there's fraud here. So that's really interesting to me um, because we talked about last time. There's a lot of silos built in to, to yeah. insurance companies by by business unit or or by you know functional area, but then also just by um, you know each policyholder and kind of how everything is handled um you know your your data is unique to to that inter, that instance that you're interacting with the right. insurance company um so i think that's really interesting uh being able to detect fraud on a much broader scale than i kind of on like a one one-to-one uh scenario yeah okay so sort of like the distinction you're drawing is there's a holistic look at the business versus one-off cases which somehow with that holistic look there's a lot more signal um than there is in the one-offs that's interesting so we talked about how we talked about how chat gpt can make it easier to defraud people potentially if you prompt it the right way how do you think it helps you know back to that analogy of like you have this really eager intern um, that you can ask questions of like what do these large language models enable in terms of processes like fraud detection if you had to speculate. Well, I, I uh, back to, I, I think it's, it's, honestly, it's the prompt engineer role, right? Like okay. what, what can you extract uh, yeah. from, from your data by asking it the right, the right question? Um, yeah. And by the way, GPT-4 now can deal with images, right? So you were talking about photographs and like car accidents or whatever. So that's on the table. Now. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and, and again, I am not an expert in, in AI or, or chat GPT. And so a lot of this is just me, you know, based on what I've read and what I've, what I've heard other folks talking about, but I, uh, you know, AI is not new in the insurance yeah. industry. Um, what I think is, is fascinating is the accessibility of what like chat GPT in the perception of the, the accessibility that now everyone can have to it. It opens up all the doors for people that aren't um, don't work with, you know, with models and, and AI to, to have that power at their fingertips. And that's why I think it's such, such a phenomenon why everyone's kind of talking about it now, because they, they see these, these opportunities that they didn't think they had, uh, to leverage something so powerful. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a good analysis. And I apologize. I slipped back into interview remote for a few no, questions. No, no. That I was, I was old habits die hard, as they say. No, no, no. I, um, again, default to, to you as the, the AI expert. I'm just here to give my two yeah. cents on what, what I think insurance uh, may, may be able to do with it. Um, but yeah, really cool conversation. I Chat TVT yeah. is not going away. So I'm glad we, we had a chance to, to chat about it. And, and hopefully we'll continue to learn more. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, uh, I think, in, I think in we the will. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I finally got my 14 year old to actually play with this thing. And she's like, what oh. is my dad? What does my dad, Christopher Wells, do at Indico Data? And uh, I told her that I was the CEO. And I found that very exciting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Has anyone told Tom? I definitely told Tom. <laughs> that was like the first thing I did. Be like, sorry, I don't know what to tell you. The internet is, thinks I run the is place. This, is this the new, like, what happens if you do a Google search on yourself kind of thing? It probably is. Oh, gosh. Imagine what terrible things this model could dream up after looking at the entire internet. Goodness. 
Well, that just that just makes shit. Nothing on the internet is ever gone, right? Once it's there, it's out there. Right. So all the people of my generation that are all over social media, chat <laughs> GBT is out there. <laughs> uh, so on that note, <laughs> uh, this has been another episode of Unstructure Unlocked. Uh, thanks to our special guest, chat GPT today, I guess. Yeah. Well, come back anytime you want, chat GPT. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unstructured Unlocked. You can find all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts today. Spotify, Apple, everywhere. Be sure to follow at Indico Data on Twitter and YouTube. Have a good day, Automated.